0: This is, uh, our topic today is anxiety, so if you're feeling any right now, yeah. <laughs> I
1: just, I was here for the first words. I'm just hoping there were any of those, those weird words in here that, uh... <laughs> all right, so we're, we're, this morning's scripture reading comes from Genesis 32, 22 through 32, and if you have your own Bibles, you can look that up or you can follow along on the screen here. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of, of the Jacob. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent all over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak." But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob answered, and then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God's face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon.
0: So we're in this uh, series on anxiety, and there is a lot of uh, anxiety research being done these days, uh, trying to play catch up with the growing uh, anxiety in our world. And uh, I'll just bring out a little point on this that it was the year 2011 that, if you look at the statistics on anxiety, there was kind of a spike in that. And you may have something in your purse if you're a woman or your pocket if you're a man that would be the cause of that from 2011. What am I talking about here? It's, it's called the smartphone. And there's just a, there's a lot of research being done right now, and uh, on on that how it raises anxiety in us. And by the way, this is something that uh, uh, you probably know, but both uh, Steve Jobs, when he was alive, and Bill Gates, who is still alive, don't allow their kids to have cell phones at the dinner table. I'm throwing that in there. I just think that's really interesting. They know some. They're smart guys. They know something. But the other thing to note, statistically, is that of the notifications that you get through social, your your smartphone, one-third of them raise your anxiety. That's on average. Some of you are probably higher, and some maybe lower. But uh, that thing you carry around with you tends to produce anxiety. Anyway, there's some research that's being done. Now, on the solution side, there are basically two ways you can go to reduce your anxiety, if we're talking just in general. One is to change the outer structure of your life to make it less stressful. So to have more margin in your life, to uh, have more relational time built into your life, to have the the foundational structures in your life that uh, are just good and not so stressful. That's one way to do it. And the other way would be to uh, work on the inside of you so that what educators talk about is become more resilient so that you can handle your your capacity for anxiety goes up because of what's going on on the inside of you. And so uh, I did a little bit more research. And one of the things that schools are, are, um, if you're an educator... you would would know what a 504 plan is. And it helps kids who struggle in different areas, but one would be anxiety, to have special accommodation for them so that they can be part of the whole deal in a way that's good. Now, the the back uh, story... To that, is that, and this is in the research that some uh, experts are saying, What are we doing by accommodating? Because the real world doesn't tend to accommodate people, and we're not building re- resiliency. We're just, you see how it works here? There, and I'm not arguing one way or the other, it's just that there's this tension, and some people say those kind of plans that accommodate are actually doing our children more harm than good, which is hard for us to hear. So take that kind of research, all that stuff, and now let's talk about God, which is really the the reason that you're here this morning. My hope is that that's why you're here. God. How about God? So God also is concerned with the outer structure of our lives, as well as the inner uh, structure of our lives and he gives us resources and he asks us to pray his kingdom come his will be done on earth as it is in heaven he wants us to make wise decisions he wants us to arrange our lives in a way that is good for us and in uh, right in his eyes uh, he also is somebody who invites us to come to him and pray prayers of those pouring out prayers when we have anxiety we come to him as a refuge and we find comfort in him am i right isn't that, I mean, that's the, the theory. I hope you've experienced that. But we also know this about God, and that is that he's interested in um, what, what educators call resiliency, uh, the Bible would call character. And he wants to grow you in a way where you can handle the hard things in life in a way that is better, deeper, good, that is more like Jesus Christ handled. And we're going to, in this series, we're going to talk about how Jesus handled anxiety. And how his non-anxious presence was such a blessing to those around him. So to have more of the character of Christ in us. And uh, God, you have to ask the question, is he more interested in your character or your comfort? And I think you don't want to know the answer. (laughs) I mean, if you had to choose between the God who, you know, leads, guides, blesses, shepherds, comforts, is that refuge? Or the God who wants to change you at all costs which would you choose? I know you. You're, you're, you're kind of like me. And that's, that's the thing. And the, the deal is, God is big enough to incorporate both. So get, let's get that clear right now. But our story today is about somebody that God wants to change. And um, his name is, is Jacob. So when we talk about, when the Bible talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's talking about, the Bible is talking about a God who is bigger than we think and wilder than we think and a little bit unpredictable and we're going to see that. G.K. Chesterton wrote about this God as the one who reveals the furious love of God in Jesus Christ to us. The furious love of God to us. Get your mind around that, uh, how those words fit together. And uh, we're going to uh, look at this life of Jacob. Jacob is, I can't think of anyone in the Bible, and I'm sure there's some that would match Jacob on this score, but he's at a point in his life where he is the most anxious. It's a climax of his life. There was no other time where he was more anxious, we can say that. And it's also a time of transformation for him. He would look back in his life on this time that we're going to look at, as the defining moment of his life. So we're going to look at how uh, we and Jacob, we cling to anxiety, how that happens, and how then there's a wrestling with God, and then there's a clinging to God. And you'll see that as we walk through the story. So um, just real quickly, Jacob... Just the backstory, if you, because you may know this or you may not, but here here it is. Jacob was um, coming, he's coming back now after 20 years of exile from his home and his family of origin. And the reason he left 20 years ago was because his brother wanted to kill him. Isn't that a good reason to leave? His brother Esau, his twin brother Esau, said literally, I'm going to kill you. And that was enough to get him on the road. And he went to his uncle, uh, who's, who's kind of out-Jacob's Jacob. He's a real schemer. And uh, he goes there for 20 years. He ends up marrying two of his daughters, Leah and Rachel. And just by the way, in the Bible, there's never a good ending to people who marry more than one person. <laughs> and it creates just double the complexities that you already know about. Just think about it. Don't, uh, yeah, it, it's, not, it's never good. So he, he's he's with this uh, family now, and his his uh, uh, servants and all the animals. They're heading back home. God has specifically ordered him, commanded him to go back home after 20 years. He doesn't know if his brother's still alive, but on the way back, he hears a rumor that Esau is coming out. Not just Esau, but Esau and 400 men. It's like an army. And that, last week we talked about catastrophizing, so you hear about that. This guy, the last time you saw him, he said he was going to kill you, and now he's got 400 helpers to do it. And, I mean, he's just beside himself with anxiety. And so immediately he kicks into uh, what I would call Jacob mode, but think about yourself here. He does two things that are very, very good. But we'll look beneath those two things. The first thing he does is he divides his, his entourage up into two groups. So, group A, group B. And he lavishes each group with gifts to give to Esau. So, when you meet Esau, there's like these two waves that come. And he sends them out ahead to pacify Esau in advance of him. He's in the rear guard. So, I mean, it, it would make some sense to do it that way. Um, although you might say, well, he's kind of, you know... It's not very courageous. Where are you? You're in the back, you know, but at any rate, he does that. And then the second thing he does is he, he gets down on his knees, and this is one of the good things about anxiety, is it forces you to get down on your knees. Whatever, and that could mean I mean just get serious about prayer. So he gets serious about prayer, and he comes before God. and the heart of that prayer is pretty, pretty basic. "Lord, save me from my brother." That's it.) And uh, then, he prays that prayer, he does that, that thing, and he uh, goes, we'll come up to that in a minute. But I want you to see how Jacob, what he's doing is sort of like what we would do, kind of operating on a normal, kind of human level here. Trying to do something to bring the, the, the things in a better shape so that you're not going to get killed and then praying to God. Neither one of those things are bad. In fact, they're pretty good. But there's something going on in Jacob, and it may be going on in us that we need to look at. And that is that in Jacob's life, there is a pattern of trying to control outcomes. Is he the only one that's ever done that? I mean, that's what we do. That's what technology helps us do, is to control Outcomes, And when you try to control outcomes, the reason we want to control outcomes is because of anxiety. But when we try to control outcomes, we become more anxious. And so it's a cycle that we get caught in that can be very, very deadly to our souls. And uh, this is where Jacob is. And if we look, at it, I don't have time to go into his whole life story, but that's basically what he has. That's the pattern of his life. He's, he's striving to get something and get ahead and stay ahead and be better than others. And he's, he's got a lot of ambition, and, um, just, but not, there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done inside of him. So ask yourself the question, am I a person that is obsessed with controlling outcomes? And, I, and then the answer to that will, will determine, I think, you'll see the, that, okay, how anxious am I? And you'll see the relationship. There's a strong relationship, correlation between those two things. Uh, so a story uh, from my life, and this is meant to uh, illustrate a certain point. My dad when he was uh, just a little bit older than me but quite frankly seemed a lot older than me right now <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that's ever happened to you but boy when my parents were my age they sure seemed old but I don't, I don't think I'm that old you know anyway uh, he I, I had bought him his uh, part of the family business and he still had an office there though and he came and went as he pleased and um He came in one afternoon. It was in the spring. I can't remember what year it was, but he came in. He had just been somewhere. came in, and he closed the door, and he got on the phone. It turned out he was talking to my mom. I couldn't hear much. Then he he opened the door, and he asked me if I would come in, and then he shut the door. And so I knew something was up. And he said in a voice that um, it wasn't his regular dad voice, you know, kind of a shaky a very vulnerable voice. He said, I've just been to the doctor and I have an advanced form of prostate cancer. And then his, the rest of his life, which he actually lived another 18 years, so there's, there's some good story there, but that's eventually what he had to deal with the rest of his life. But the point of that thing is he, he said something in there, that, uh, th- these words. He says, I feel like I'm not in control. And that's why the voice thing, right? It quivers when you're, you feel that way. Okay, so here's my question. That... I use that story to illustrate. I'll ask you: was he any more in control in reality, when he woke up that morning, Or a year earlier, or 10 years earlier, or when he was a young Marine Corps uh, officer getting shot at in the Pacific, or? I mean, what, so the, the question is, is, are we ever really in control? And is, what happens is that we, we assume that we are, and then we find out we aren't, and our life falls apart. Rather than living with the reality that we're never in control, that we're spinning. You know, right now we're spinning around on a planet that is. You know, it's not. It's a small planet out in the. You know, some quadrant of the universe somewhere, and we're going around the sun at 64,000 miles an hour right now. I mean, who's in control? I mean, I don't understand how that can happen. You know, just what I said right there. So we live with this idea that we are, at some points in our life, in more control than others. And what happens is that when we realize we're not in control, our anxiety goes way up. Whereas we could have... There are other options. And that is to realize we're not in control and allow something else to take the place of that anxiety. This is where Jacob goes. That's why I'm bringing, hovering over this point. So we go to the second part, wrestling with God. And that's, uh, it's interesting, Jacob is, it's at night now, and he has his wife and kids, his immediate family, go across the river, so he is all by himself. And there are times in life where you need to be all by yourself. And I I think it's kind of, it's probably a good thing that he did that. Maybe he wanted to think and pray and reflect. We know he's not going to sleep well. Tomorrow's the day. And when you know that tomorrow is the day for a big job interview or for whatever, you don't sleep well. And and this is the day that he thinks there's a good chance that his brother Esau, with his 400 men, is going to kill him. So, I mean, just want you to get the picture here. That is the one thought on his mind. Then, oddly enough, this man shows up and begins to wrestle, verse uh, 24, wrestle with Jacob until daybreak. And we, it's a mystery figure. And you find out as the story goes on. But heres I want you to not miss this detail. In the Hebrew language, the word for Jacob, is, it means wrestle. So the man Jacobed Jacob until daybreak, it's a wordplay. And you're gonna. It kind of comes into the story. It helps us understand that Jacob is going to be out. Jacob, and um, so we have we have this thing at night that's going on, and uh, you you can. We don't know what time you know in terms of the clock when it started, but certainly hours and hours of wrestling were, were going on between Jacob and this man. Now wrestling. I don't know if any of you uh, are wrestlers. I, I've never been a wrestler except with my brother. Uh, when we were little, you know, brothers do that. And then with my sons, we wrestled. And when I wrestle with my sons, you know, you, you pull back the throttle. A you, you need to, you know, of course you do, right? Or you'd squish them or kill them or something. But you want to, you're, you're wrestling like, you know, as, as much as you can at their level but you, you limit yourself. And so uh, I'm not a wrestler, but can you imagine any other sport? It's the only, the only sport that I can think of. There's probably others, but it's the most intimate and personal sport. It is, I mean, if, some, if you're wrestling somebody and they've got body odor or bad breath, you're going to know all about it. <laughs> and it's blood on blood and flesh on flesh, skin on skin. Yeah. Just It's all there in that wrestling for hours. And the adrenaline is flowing. And uh, yeah, quite a picture. So who has Jacob, let's think about this, who has Jacob been wrestling with his whole life? Jacob started out in the womb with his brother Esau. They were twins together, Jacob and Esau. And it says they were the mom knew Rebecca knew that they were wrestling in her womb. that goes back pretty far, and that uh, when Esau came out first, Jacob was clinging or hanging on to his heel and then there were, if you look at the stories of their life and the competition that they had and the things that they valued that were different, and the way that uh, Jacob eventually stole his brother 's uh, blessing from his father there's just a continual wrestling going on his whole life think about who you've wrestled with your whole life it could be a parent or a sibling or or somebody who hurt you when you were a kid and you wrestle you continue to wrestle you can't get that person out of your mind out of your heart but what jacob realizes and maybe what we need to realize is he's not really been wrestling with his brother Who's he been wrestling with? What's the story about? He's wrestling with God. He's been wrestling with God his whole life. And now it's time. And something's got to happen. God wants to stop that and change things. He has, in his furious love, God wants to make Jacob into a new person. Now this is the God. Now this is, this is where we have to get a little bit um, more balanced, at least, in our view of who God is. Because we want to think of God. Remember earlier, I said, which God would you want? The God who, who is calming and peaceful and, and, you know, he's the one that you go to in the refuge to hide from danger and all of that. Or do you want to go to the God who, in Jacob's case, knocks him to the ground, wrestles with him for hours, and gives him a limp that will last the rest of his life? Which God do you want? And here's the deal. I'll give you the, the, uh, the spoiler alert thing right now. At the end of this story, there's no question that Jacob would choose the God who gave him a limp. The furious love of God. But we're not, not to the end of the story yet. So what happens? Well, uh, Jacob is in these hours uh, learning more and more about who it is that he is wrestling with. Do you remember the story, if you've read the Narnia uh, books, there's a part in the story that's kind of famous where the kids are trying to figure out who Aslan is, this great lion, and he's the Christ figure in the story. They're trying to figure out who is Aslan. They've heard about him, they haven't seen him yet, but there's a rumor about Aslan, and they ask this... uh, a couple of beavers there that they got to know in Narnia because animals can talk in Narnia for some reason Yeah, and, um, and they said to uh, Mrs. Beaver uh, is Aslan safe they asked that question and she said safe whoever no he's not safe but he is good he is good. And this is where, this is kind of where it gives you an idea of where Jacob is at. So when does Jacob find out who he's wrestling with? We know that in verse 28 and beyond, it's really clear that it's God, that God has shrunk himself down into a human form for a temporary period of time, as he did with Jesus Christ. So it's not that hard to imagine, but this is way before Christ. And that this man, this mystery man, was, was God himself in the flesh. And... Um, When does Jacob figure it out? Well, scholars will give different opinions, but probably the the main one is that it's in verse 25, and that's an odd, odd verse, because first of all it says that that the man, that is the God-man, could not overcome Jacob. He wrestled all night and could not overcome Jacob. Now, how can God not overcome Jacob? It's because he limits himself. He brings himself down. Like me wrestling with my kids, he, you know, you just you you set boundaries, and that's his choice. But then it says in the second clause of that verse that he touched Jacob's hip, and that it wrenched his hip and his hip socket, and we know from that point on he limped. Now the word in the Hebrew there is very, uh, it's a very unique little word. Instead of touched, it's better translated, he barely tapped. That's the moment that Jacob knew that this was not a man. The power of God surged in his body in a bad way. <laughs> but think of what God could have done. I mean, at the end of the story, Jacob says, I- I've, I've seen God face-to-face, or almost face-to-face, and I've lived. That's a miracle. God touched me. Now, I think of all the times I've prayed For myself or for others, for the touch of God, it causes me to pause. If I pray the touch of God for you, you better say, whoa, (laughs) not like Jacob, please. The power of God, the furious love of God. Okay, then we get to the end, the clinging to God. So uh, Jacob is now, he says, I will not let you go to this man who knows his God. I will not let you go until you bless me. And there's one thing you can say about Jacob is that he wants that blessing. He's wanted it his whole life. He values it. When Esau never valued the blessing, Jacob treasured it, and it's it's like somebody making a tackle at a football game. There's no way I'm going to let this go. My body and soul is into this clinging. Everything is into this clinging. And I don't care if I die. I'm going to cling to you. Now realize what's happened to his anxiety. Remember where we started? Hours before, what was the one thing on his mind? It was his brother Esau. I'm guaranteeing you right now, Esau is not even on the radar screen. It's all about God. When you cling to God, your anxiety has a way of disappearing. I know it's, yeah, but we got the sore hip the rest of our life, right? All I'm saying is that's not a concern. When you cling to God, your anxiety dissipates. And, uh, Jacob, at this point, clings to that God who isn't safe, but he is good. And he gets a new name. And his name changes from the wrestler to the struggler, or the one who struggles with God. And he's going to continue to struggle with God. And so are the children of Israel, his new name. They will struggle with God. But they are no longer struggling against God. At least in their best days, they're not And in the big view, it's that struggle that produces the person of Jesus Christ thousands of years later. The furious love of God for you and for Jacob. What I want to do right now is just lead us in a prayer. But I need you to use your imagination. Last week we talked about the power that God has given us in images in the scriptures, but also in our imaginations, our our capacity to take those images in. And apply them to ourselves So go ahead and close your eyes if you would And we'll walk through this together So imagine yourself in that place at night Wrestling alone with God Or with this man That you're not sure who is As Jacob was And I want to ask you the question What have you been wrestling with Your whole life Or who have you been wrestling with Your whole life someone who has caused you something that has caused you great anxiety. And you just, maybe as you hear this story today, you have a hunch that maybe that person or that thing isn't really what or who you've been wrestling with, but you have been wrestling with God. And maybe today would be a day to acknowledge that and move on from that maybe wrestling with someone who hurt you when you were little or wrestling with your self-worth and the lies that you believe or wrestling with fears and the fear of control or afraid of what might happen tomorrow this god this god who loves us furiously who is all powerful that so that even a touch can hurt or bring healing and who knows what's best for us? Can you give into him, give up to him, cling to him, and let go of your anxiety? And like Jacob, walk away weaker, yet stronger, more resilient free from anxiety and fully aware of the furious love of God for you in Jesus Christ.